Welcome to the Taylor and Jen podcast. Mornings with Taylor and Jen. Can you listen to fruits? If you hear the fruit and he'll say, I'm ripe. I'm ready to be eaten. Life 107.5. It was my last hurrah. And I wasn't going to let anybody get in the way of that. Okay. So this weekend... I had my last hurrah of like a lot of my favorite foods because I'm going on a pretty strict diet for you, the next six weeks. You were on the strict one. You've got all this stuff over mm-hmm. there with you ready ready to roll. Mostly just water. Water. <laughs> anyway, Lots of water. It's a strict diet. So this weekend was my last hurrah. So I got one of my favorite things in the world that would be a part of my last hurrah. One of my favorite things in the world. I mean, of, of all the foods in the world. Is honeycomb cereal. Which I'm guessing is not on your diet. No, it's not, unfortunately. Because it is massive amounts of sugar. And I don't normally keep it in the home because I cannot control myself around yeah. a box of honeycomb. I love. I can't explain to you how much I love honeycomb. I love everything about it. I love that it's really big. I love the crunch. I love the way that it doesn't really have time to get soggy in milk <laughs> because I eat it so quickly. Well, you've seen the commercials. It turns people into animals. I love honeycomb cereal. I bought the biggest box of honeycomb cereal that you could buy. And I was enjoying, (laughs) I was munching on my cereal, sitting on the couch, enjoying a TV show. And all of a sudden, Benjamin comes walking out of the kitchen into the living room, holding the honeycomb, pointing at it with a quizzical look on his face like, why do you have this, mom? And I looked at him and I said, son, I love you, but no, that is my cereal. Wait, you, you're not going to share your cereal with your own son? And that's exactly what Benjamin said. He was like, what do you mean, your cereal? <laughs> and I said, it's mine. You cannot eat it. About an hour later, <laughs> he was eating a bowl of honeycomb. <laughs> I kind of maintain that I've, I'm not doing anything wrong when I purchase something like my box of honeycomb and I tell my kids, this is mine. Please don't eat it. I've never experienced that. Like, basically, in our home, it was, if you can see it, you can eat it. Really? It was a seafood household. Your mom never hid anything for herself? No, and apparently, a lot of people are different from her. My mother, when we were kids growing up, she had Nesquik chocolate milk mix, and we were never allowed to eat it. Or really? Consume it. it was hers and hers only, and she didn't even hide it. She put it in the cupboard and said, this is mine. You're not to touch it. Did you ever try to get into it? No. (laughs) The rule of mom, that is the power. How many brothers and sisters did you have? One brother and two sisters. And none of you ever got into your mom's nest quick? We were too afraid. (laughs) I'm not sure why this is so controversial. As an adult, you can stake your claim to certain foods in the house, especially if you're the one that purchased them. And I I don't know. You, I mean, your mom never did that. I don't. She she never said you're not allowed to eat this. She would just sneak out in the middle of the night and sneak some chocolate. <laughs> How did it go in your house, Lori? I was brought up with certain things were for mom and dad only to eat, and certain things was for my brother and I. And beef jerky was labeled for our dog. <laughs> so beef jerky was divided between my dad. And for us kids and for our show dog. <laughs> there was a dog portion of the, the beef dog. jerky. And you couldn't eat the dog's jerky. Well, if we got caught eating the dog's 
jerky, and we got grounded for two weeks to our room. <laughs> How long did you get grounded if you ate your dad's beef jerky? Oh, just one day. <laughs> Truth be told, normally I am dead set against Christmas in July. You, you've, uh, <laughs> I've encountered resistance when I bring it up before. We'll leave it at that. Let me tell you why I think 2020 might be an exception. Okay. You know, you hear that Christmas time is supposed to be a time of, you know, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, Mm -hmm. good cheer towards everybody. But we're so stressed out trying to keep up with the expectations of the season that we don't have time for all that good cheer stuff. Look at 2020. Mm. A lot of things have been taken away. A lot of new stressors have been added. If Christmas in July in 2020 brings us good cheer and peace on earth and goodwill towards men and all the things that we get reminded of in a cute little Hallmark movie (laughs) while we're drinking eggnog. If Christmas in July brings us that in 2020, I am 100% for it. This is what I want to talk about. How much I love my son. (laughs) I love Benjamin. He's 16. He just turned 16 last month. He's an amazing boy in so many ways. And one thing that he's extraordinary at is keeping his room a disaster area. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. He's very good at that. Very gifted. Very gifted at is having that, a disaster area for a bedroom. His spiritual gifting. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Okay. As you can see, I'm trying to put an uplifting yeah. twist on this. And, and this is why. I'm a fairly neat person, not that you would know it from my desk at work, but if you look at my car, you look in my home, is it like deep clean? No. Is it picked up? Yes. Except for Benjamin's room. And here's the thing. I know it's in the basement and I know it's in the corner and I know I never really have to go in there, but just knowing that it's as dirty as it is, as cluttered, Uh as haphazard Mm -hmm. as it is. It's like a little pit in my stomach. I just know that it's there. So every once in a quarter, (laughs) I go down and I'm like, ah, and I just (laughs) clean it. I spend hours just cleaning it. And he's always like, thanks, mom. That was awesome. And then within a week, it's back to its normal state. It reverts to its natural state. Jen, you're trying to make something unnatural happen to a teenage boy's bedroom. It's the second law of thermodynamics. (laughs) I was messy. As a kid, I was. My Mm -hmm. mother was constantly after us. I'm not messy anymore, but the Lord has visited upon me (laughs) a wonderful, loving, amazing son named Benjamin who loves to keep his room dirty. And the question is, will he ever change? (laughs) Can a slob unslob? Is it possible? Rajan has some words of encouragement for you, Jen. I am your son. Oh! Oh. (laughs) This is what I want to say. I don't know if that gets better as far as him ever learning how to clean it himself, but he will appreciate you and what you do as a mother, because I love my mother. And uh, I, I feel like my wife, she resembles my mother in that way where she's like, Rajan? <laughs> like, hey, are you going to, like, did you learn this? I was like, you know what? Actually, my mom, she was just so amazing. So it'll just be like a, you know, a, a loving quality that he'll have for you. <laughs> are you serious? Because you are really making me feel better right now. <laughs> yeah, for real. For like, real? Okay. 
It is the fixed scientific laws of slobbiness. Slobbiness? Do, do you stay in one place your whole life? Do you move? Do you change? Can you improve? I'm encouraged. I don't think this is in the DNA. I okay. don't think that, you know, you are like wired to be messy. I will tell you, Jen, I've changed over time. You have? You know what? When I was younger, I was pretty persnickety, pretty neat, pretty tidy. All my stuff got put away. And my car, especially when I finally had a car of my own, that was every wrapper that ever goes in there gets thrown away. Every grocery bag that's in there gets thrown away. It was very clean. Oh, I don't like where this is going. Yeah, you've been in my car, haven't you? <laughs> oh my word, it your is, car! It is a it's disaster, a disaster zone. area. It's at the point now where it's like, what What, what am I doing? I, I'm, I'm trying to scoop out the beach with a spoon. Do you remember that one time we all had to get in your car and I looked at Chris and I'm like, you're getting in the back seat and I'm sorry. That's yeah, that's about what my car is like. So I'll tell you, it does change. you can change. Uh, the question is, which direction will you be headed in? <laughs> you have stuff in your backseat of your car that has been there for years. Yeah, there's a belt there. I still don't know who it belongs to. You told me about that belt when we started doing this well, what, together years you ago. You know how it's going to work. The day I throw it away, someone's going to be like, like, hey, Taylor, I left that belt in your car five years ago. So you never know. So it's a battle you fight and often lose as a parent, <laughs> you know, for your child to keep their bedroom clean. Yeah. I'm not doing so hot with my son, Benjamin. And I wonder sometimes, should I push it? Because maybe he'll outgrow it. Anne has some thoughts on that. I raised three daughters. When my kids were little and they would go to their dad's, I would throw bags of things away. <laughs> And they would come home and not even notice that anything was gone because they had so much junk in their rooms. But one of the things I did learn is I would just shut the door and thought, this isn't the battle I need to fight. As Mm -hmm. long as there's not food rotting in there, I don't care. Oh, and you are speaking my (laughs) language. So tell me about your daughters now. So uh, my oldest daughter, she does a really, really good job of keeping her house clean except for her bedroom her bedroom is still a hot mess (laughs) i just laugh at it now i think two of the most fun places for any kid to spend time in is their grandparents attic or their grandparents basement because that's where all the memories are i loved spending time in my meme and pepe's basement they lived on the border between maine and canada and they had seven children All the stuff was in the basement. All of it. Stuff that their kids left behind, but also stuff that at one time my grandma had displayed in her home, but because she had so many children, eventually (laughs) they kind of got shuffled down to the basement. Back in the corner next to the upright piano, there was a giant chest. It was um, a hope chest. Okay, yeah. That my grandmother had actually brought with her when she married my, my Pepe. And, you know, there were pictures and things like that on the inside, but I loved this hope chest. I loved it. I I loved the idea of it. I thought it was so romantic. It was beautiful. And for years, it sat over there under the dust. And really, I was the only grandkid that would go and play with it and look at it. And I was just kind of your special hope chest. So imagine my surprise one Christmas when I'm living here in Iowa When that is delivered to me at Christmas. Wow. By my sister. My when my meme passed, she gave that chest to my mom and dad, who knew how much I loved it. My sister took it, restored it, 
and gave it to me as a gift. That's amazing. Now sitting in my home and it has a lot of my old cherished memories in it. But that is an heirloom that I love. You have it in your house and you kind of hope that a guest is going to mention it, see it, comment on it. So that you can tell the story behind it. Katie has an amazing story behind her family heirloom. I think it's going to become one. We recently found one of my grandma's Bibles. Mm, Nice. But what was cool was how we found it. My parents had started attending the church I grew up at. They hadn't been at it for like years. And I was visiting with them and I went downstairs to use the restroom. And as I was coming back, I'm really nosy. So (laughs) I was looking through one of the Sunday school rooms. And there was a row of Bibles, and I just happened to see one pink one in the midst of them. And so I picked it up, and I opened it, and it said my grandmother's name. No. In the wow. No. And I was like, what? So I took it upstairs, and I whispered to my mom. And just that morning in Sunday school, my dad had been talking about my grandma, his mom, and how he really wasn't sure where she was in her walk with the Lord, but he believed she was with him. And then I found that Bible. <gasps> oh, my goodness. It had been down there for probably at least 20 years. What did your dad do? He was just kind of, I think, shocked to silence. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what is that like? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I've never experienced that either, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> you can overlook a lot of things in something that's free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the it's the kid with the giant stuffed animal climbing into the car after they've been to a garage sale, yeah. and the parents are just like, "It was free. What were we going to say?" Yeah, you, you can't say there is literally no reason to refuse a free thing. It's free, especially when you are in college. The only job you can find is minimum wage, eight hours a week, and you are living in your very first apartment. Oh boy, Taylor, I sense a story coming. It was. I mean, you know, you get down to that shoestring budget. You've got four guys. In a tiny apartment Trying to split everything Not spend any money at all And I had never owned A bed of my own in my life Well you've been sleeping in college dorms College dorms, I had my home Mm -hmm. And same with all of my other roommates So there was no furniture in here And you you gotta find a bed You can't just sleep on the floor Well you could, but it would be uncomfortable Well, oh no, oh no, 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 a free bed. It was just sitting there on the side of the road. Oh my word. Someone posted on Craigslist, hey, we're getting rid of our bed frame. You can just come by and pick it up at this address in like northeastern Oklahoma. What did it look like? I think it was for somebody about a third of our age. (laughs) It was a bunk bed, fire engine red. And if I laid with my head at one end, my ankles would get to the other. And then for a mattress, we had friends who, they were getting rid of their sleep number. And I was like, sleep number, it's great. Well, they were getting rid of it because there was a leak in it. And I had to use their air pump to pump it up before I went to bed every night. And then in the morning, I would wake up and it would have completely deflated. And I'm just laying across fire engine red metal slats. But it was free. You overlook a lot. But it's free. I mean, how do you argue against, but it's free, but you end up with all these crazy things at your house because of it. When Luke was like five, I turned around and he was talking to an older gentleman about a huge water feature that this man had had. And I knew it was the guy that owned the house. I'm standing there and he's like, mom, he said we could have this water fountain 
for free. And I was like, oh, wow. And I was wow. Like, I don't think that'll fit in our car. And he said, it does need some electrical work, but I think I can do it, Mom. I think I can fix the back of it. And I thought, no. I mean, I, I immediately went to, that is not going home with us. And you know what the clincher was? He said, Mother's Day is coming, and it's for you. <laughs> okay, guess what we brought home? No! no. And it was huge. Yes, because what was I going to say? No? <laughs> so you think that if you're getting a little tiny item for free at the garage sale, it's no big deal? Be careful. <laughs> Dr. Heidi, we're still uncertain about a lot of things. Like school, there's a lot yep. of uncertainty. We can't plan. And we're hearing people, you know, start to ramp up and create plans. And we're trying to figure out how that's going to affect us and our families and our kids. But it's also very uncertain. It's just so uncertain. My Facebook feed is people with like running scenarios. Yes. Right? And we're tempted. We're tempted, right? If they do this, then I'll do this. And they, you know, and if we're talking about our responses to other people. And that leads to just catastrophic thinking. And then it's just overwhelming, quite frankly, because we don't know what they, whoever your they is, is going to do. And I think it's more helpful to slow down, step back and say, okay, wait a minute. What are the values and the principles that are guiding my decisions about what I want to do for school with my family and with my kids? So when we slow down and say, okay, it's important that my kids are in a school where health risks are taken seriously. It's important that my kids are at a school where they're able to socialize in a fairly normal way. Whatever is important to you and your family, write it down. Talk about those variables. Talk about what is going to guide your decisions because then whatever they decide can be filtered through that lens and those values that you've already articulated. So essentially you be on the offensive, not a victim of the uncertainty of what other people's plans are going to do to you. We all make decisions out of values and priorities. And so this is a process of just slowing down and identifying those, recognizing that you can't control what other people do or do not do. And so we have to respond, but we don't want to react. So we want to have a well thought out response to whatever our different school districts are going to be doing. And this is one way of preparing yourself to make a choice when we actually can make a choice. Right now, we actually can't do anything. It feels like we're doing something by running (laughs) scenarios. But the truth is, that's actually not super productive. What is productive is identifying what's important to you and your family, having some options that you're aware of that maybe fit those values, and then taking a deep breath and waiting to see how things play out. There's been so much surprise this year, for lack of a better word. That's an understatement. (laughs) For me, when I get surprised, I tend to respond more emotionally of, Uh here's how I feel, and I'm going to let that feeling inform my response, where if I have this plan in front of me saying, here are my values, here are the things that I want to accomplish... Then all of a sudden, I have something that I put together before I was surprised that I can filter everything through. And that's exactly what you're trying to avoid, an emotionally reactive decision that in the long run may or may not be what's best for your family. So I saw it and I walked toward it because it looked like it might be exactly what I needed, exactly what I wanted. The perfect pineapple. It looked like it was a little green on the top and a little yellow on the bottom. But there is a way to know if a pineapple is ready to be eaten. Really? So I picked up the pineapple 
and I sniffed it. But there was a problem <laughs> in this age of COVID-19. I had a mask on. Oh, it does make it hard to sniff the produce. So if you were at Aldi and you saw a woman holding a pineapple up to a mask and going, <laughs> trying to sniff it like really hard through a mask. How's that again? It doesn't work. And I'm like, I, I mean, I have to tell you, this has affected so many parts of our lives, but it's really affected the way that I shop for produce because I like to sniff it to tell if it's ready. I like to touch it. I like to thump it. I like to try to pull off a leaf from a pineapple. You can pull another. off a leaf? Well, one of the, that's another way that you're... That's su- destruction of store property, Jen. Supposedly, you're able to tell if a pineapple is ready to go if you can pull out one of those wow. tiny things at the top. Anyway, all of this is null and void during this age of coronavirus. And now you just have to look and hope that's, that it's a really good piece of produce. And that puts you and I on equal footing, Jen. I am a looker. <laughs> I also like to eyeball my produce to see if it looks like it's tasty. All I want to say, Jen, is welcome to my world. I don't like this world. I like the tactile approach to produce buying. I sniff and and hit, thump, and you're, you're pull. You're very hands-on with picking out your produce. Always have been. I figure I'm going to eat it. I need to know that it's good. And now in the age of coronavirus, I know. You, you can't sniff the fruit. If you've got a mask in the way, it kind of filters out some of those sensory inputs. And people frown upon me sitting there touching all the produce and then putting it back. (laughs) I just, I I look at the fruit and I say, huh, that looks like a good fruit. Maybe sneak in a a subtle squeeze here and there. Can't do that anymore. You can't squeeze them? Not anymore. Okay, well then I don't don't squeeze. Unless you're resigned to taking that one. If you squeeze it, you buy it. Is that the new new slogan? Do you remember Don't Squeeze the Charmin? It's kind of the I, well, same yeah. thing. Don't I mean, they, squeeze the fruit. There's no Charmin to squeeze these days. That's the problem. <laughs> That's true, too. So you've probably experienced that grocery shopping in this age of COVID-19 is a little different. And one of the things that's changed is I, I don't know that people are really comfortable with tactile produce shoppers like me employing our use of our tactile ways. You are an extremely tactile shopper. I always have been. Just I in mean, general, you just touch things. I do. Like It's like you walk along with your hands out at your sides, dragging your fingers along all of the aisles. I kind to do. I mean, mom, my mom always taught me, feel the material, make sure that it's quality, you know. Mm-hmm. And with produce, I was always taught to do the same thing. And and so now I, I can't do that anymore. So when I, I'm learning, I have to kind of put my <laughs> hands behind my back. But here's the thing. I've gotten three cantaloupes in a row and none of them have been good. They've really? all been bad. They've been overripe. Ugh. And I think that if I would have had the chance to spend more time with these cantaloupes, <laughs> that I probably would have gotten better ones. Just sneak one little sniff. <laughs> one little snifferoo. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's are such there, a first world problem. Are I there know, non-tactile but... <laughs> ways that you can... Can you listen to fruits? I know. If you if you hear hear the fruit and he'll say I'm ripe, I'm ready to be eaten. Three bad cantaloupes in a row. I'm, I'm a little sorry. cantaloupe shy right now. I three just... three bad cantaloupes and you're out. <laughs> I know. I think I'm just going to buy the pre-cut ones. <laughs> you hear these two words and you just you break out in a cold sweat. Oh no! What? 
dental procedure. For yourself? No, for my dog. Oh, well, yeah, your wallet breaks out in a I cold know. sweat. Oh, my word. You know, you, it's you, so expensive. You take Lacey to the vet, and she's getting looked over, and everything's good. And then at the very end, they say, you know, oh. this plaque is getting pretty bad. We're going to need to give her the dental procedure. That means going under. She's got to go under for the anesthesia. She's got to... Take a big chunk out of my wallet. <laughs> and it's it's True. a whole to-do. It is a to-do. You are right. It is a to-do. I recently had it done with Bagel the Beagle. Yeah, this is the second time we've had to do it with Lacey. And both times they say, you know what would have prevented this? If you would brush her teeth. I am just... I still... I. I am just wrapping my head around this concept. Since I've owned dogs in the, you know, 2000s. I've never, I was never told growing up that we had to brush our animals' teeth, but yeah. now they're telling us that we really should brush our animals' teeth. And I'm like, have you ever tried to get into a dog's tooth just, with a toothbrush and toothpaste? Yeah, naturally, he's just going to sit there, <laughs> let you flip open those jowls and rub your finger or your your toothbrush right across the teeth. They are definitely going to sit still for that. The dogs in the commercials do. <laughs> well, the dogs in the commercial are paid to be like that. Dogs are paid? <laughs> In kibbles. It seems anymore that you're not just a pet owner, you're a pet parent. Yeah. yeah. You know? And one of the things that we're being told we have to do is we have to brush our pet's teeth to keep the plaque from building I on them. never heard that about pet ownership. And, and we are just mystified because neither one of us have been successful in brushing our individual dog's teeth. So we're asking, have you ever brushed your dog's teeth successfully? Yes, yes. They did wonderfully. They did? made it fun. Yeah. Wait a minute. How do you make it you fun? You made it fun. You know, they get a treat afterwards, but a lot of times for the in-depth, when we would get their toes done or something, we would just take them to the vet and they would do it when they were under. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's the easy way to do it yeah. when they're unconscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Knock them out. Yeah. Have you ever actually brushed your pet's teeth? <laughs> How did that work out for you? So about two months ago, Bagel the Beagle had... An extreme veterinary situation uh, where it wasn't just that he had to go under for his teeth, but there was actually a bony protrusion coming off of his jaw. Yeah, it was icky. It was icky, and it could have been a lot worse, and I was very thankful that it ended up not being so bad, but Iowa State got involved, and some place down in Kansas got involved, and a lot of my bank account got involved, <laughs> and so I, I had a little heart-to-heart with the <laughs> with the vet who said, you really do need to be brushing his teeth. It just sounds so unreasonable. So I went online real quick, and I bought myself some, you know, I don't even think it's Arm & Hammer Pretty much Arm & Hammer pet toothpaste flavored like beef, you know. Weird. <laughs> and, and a toothbrush. Beef toothpaste. And I, I got that and I went to go to Bagel. I'm like, hey, look, buddy, we're going to brush your teeth. And then something got in my way. The big brown limpid pools of his eyes <laughs> as he looked at me and I could hear him pleading please human mother do not come near Don't me with do it. that and as I as it was between me and his eyes it was this showdown <laughs> between me and his eyes this is how I justified not brushing my dog's oh, teeth okay. his teeth are probably still really sensitive from his uh, circumstances at the vet. So I'm going to give it a little bit of time. Oh. A month later, I still haven't brushed it his still teeth. still might be sensitive. 
Taylor and I have realized that we're pretty bad pet owners because his dog needed her teeth brushed. It's hard. It is really hard to if brush your hard, dog's teeth. If it's hard, I shouldn't have to do it. That's <laughs> that's just how I look at life. Paul, how did it go brushing your dog's teeth? I have unsuccessfully tried to brush my dog's teeth, and I have four of them. And whenever they see the toothbrush, they just scatter. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. What I like doing about it is my kids, it disgusts my kids. Because whenever I get done brushing my dog's teeth, then I turn around and use the same toothbrush on myself. <laughs> and the reaction from my kids is just awesome. Oh I love goodness. it. Gross, wow. Gross, gross. I gross, gross, gross. I don't know about that, Paul. My dogs and I are quite close. I, <laughs> what does your wife say about you sharing a toothbrush with a dog? Well, then I can't kiss her for a little while. Yeah, I, I imagine but, not. A while. No, but she forgets it about after a while. <laughs> this has been the Taylor and Jen podcast. You can hear more from Taylor and Jen weekday mornings online at life1071.com or on the Life 107.1 app.